Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Jamie Creel with Shelter Insurance. Come see how we've built a name that you can trust and why it is a must to get your free quote today with our Switch and Save. Located in Ridgeland and Florida, Mississippi, give us a call, 601-992-6000. This is Gerard Gibbert, and thank you for listening to Middays here on Super Talk Mississippi. Growth and guarantees. Get... To middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder and fine music. It is a Tuesday and Rhino a pall is draped across the great state of Mississippi today with the passing of head Mississippi State football coach Mike Leach. We've got Brian Haydad, co-host of Sports Talk Mississippi, coming on middays in the next segment at 1020, and he and I will certainly discuss his life, his legacy. You knew that it was imminent, but... Yeah, it, it felt that way after the very little information that was being released and the family coming in and asking for privacy, it... it felt like it was not going to be a happy ending. Yeah. And uh, 61 years old. Incredibly sad. I'll say this. The state of Mississippi was blessed to have the coach make our state, Mississippi State, part of his career. He, uh, he's an innovator. Invented the air raid. Honestly, changed the the offensive look of college football. It's known for his stints at Texas Tech and Washington State. An innovator. A lawyer, too. Smart man. Incredibly unique wit. It was one of those deals where every time... He was on camera and a mic was put on him. You wanted to hear. You wanted to listen, right? Because more than likely, he wasn't going to talk about football, which is what made it fun, entertaining. He kept it in perspective. It was um, often about life, and to some extent, it kind of normalized it. And it, I think it showed that, you know, this is a game at the end of the day. And so today... We set aside the the rivalries and what can often be the bitterness of them. Although, I'd have to say, Rhino, that with the advent of Coach Leach and and Coach Kiffin at Ole Miss, seems like that subsided somewhat. Almost got funny, more humorous than than hostile. 
You know, and you saw that matriculate through the fan bases as well. I certainly felt that way. I think most do. But again, kept it in perspective. And anytime you have someone who's competing at such a high level as that and can laugh at themselves, make jokes, and uh, be entertaining. At the same time, coaching, leading, guiding, teaching, developing, you got a winner, in my view. And the first thing that hit me is, you know, suddenly rivalries on the football field seem so unimportant. It just diminished that. It's like, you know, okay, that may be may provide some degree of vicarious pleasure, but that's nothing compared to human life. Not even remotely close, of course. So our state, I believe, is better for him making a stop here. No doubt about it. His legacy will live on as as a great... I don't know if you caught it, but... Texas Tech, where he, of course, coached, and I would say maybe kind of rose to fame to some extent. They, they, uh, they gestured, I think, in a, in a very positive way, and they featured on their Jumbotron at their football field a, um, a graphic of depiction of the coach the skull and crossbones associated with a pirate in the background, and it's he's holding a sword, and it says, Swing your sword. The thoughts and prayers of Red Raider Nation are with Coach Leach and his family. And they put this up on the Jumbotron at AT&T, I think it's Jones Stadium, if I'm not mistaken, at Texas Tech. Yesterday, I just thought that was really a classy gesture on their part. My son, uh, having attended Texas Tech and played ball out there, I certainly enjoyed my time. Really great university, great people. I'm not surprised, honestly. They're just good folks. But that, that just goes to show you how beloved he was and how he left his mark everywhere he went. It's just awesome. And... Uh, a book needs to be written chronicling his life. And, of course, you could fill it up with his quips, could you not? His quotes. Nobody wittier than he, certainly as a head football coach, just doesn't take it seriously. And, you know, I think players feed positively off that. If you're constantly wound up and tense and got that scowl on your face all the time and you can't sit back and laugh at yourself, and it's situations, and sort of mix that in with being intense and serious and competitive. I think that's true across the spectrum of life, honestly. Oh, yeah. It's not just college football where that but applies. But he had a, a passion for the game that came from a completely different angle than 99.99999% of the people involved in the game. Yeah. And because of that... He was able to 
to separate the two. You have the game that is your job. You work really hard to prepare to do your best and be the best at your job. But that doesn't define you. That's only a part of you. Yeah, so true. So true. That's why he talked about pirates. That's why he loved pirates is because pirates are an ultimate example of teamwork. The the makeup of a pirate crew, every person on the crew has strengths and weaknesses, and you all have to come together to survive. Hmm. And that's why he talked about it. He would use it to inspire his players and his teams. Hmm. Didn't know that. But that, that makes total sense. Everyone has a, uh, a, a role and makes a contribution. And that's what makes teams succeed when they, they, they uh, excel at their specific role. And sports is a great teacher of that. Team sports in particular, they're a great teacher. And you know, even what you would traditionally view as individual sports, what you typically don't see and are not aware of because they're not actually playing the game, is there are teams behind those people that, that make them excel at what they do. I think about pro golfers and pro tennis players and on and on, that you think about those as being more individual-oriented sports, but good grief, there's an entourage that makes them successful. And they'll, they'll admit that. They'll, they're quick to point that out. It's just not as evident to the fan. Uh, I think about a golfer and his caddy, for example, and his numerous instructors they're usually de- dealing with and, and um, trainers and sponsors. It just goes on and on. And they're, they're a little business unto themselves entity these days. But, yeah, no doubt Coach Leach totally understood and, and leveraged to his success, the concept of team and working together. No doubt about that. So today our hearts and prayers go out to his team, his coaches, the entire Bulldog family, and really today I think we're all Bulldogs, and and to the entire state of Mississippi who lost uh, a, a great leader in our state, not just a football coach, but a leader and a teacher of of men and someone who should inspire us all no doubt about it i know i'll certainly miss him because like i said every time that mic was put in front of him and a camera on him i wanted to hear what he had to say it's so it's so unpredictable which made it fun which made it interesting which made you want to tune in and see it what did he say you know so wow When we return here on Middays, we've got Brian Haydad, the co-host of Sports Talk Mississippi, and also Brian, of course, uh, is host of Thunder and Lightning, which comes on Wednesday nights, and it focuses on Mississippi State Bulldog Athletics. And Can't wait to get Brian on the program, see what he has to say here. Stepping aside for a break, coming right back. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. What? What? This is so awesome. 
on Super Talk Mississippi. A Propos, Davy Jones theme. Brian Haydad, co-host of Sports Talk Mississippi, joins Middays. Morning, Brian. Good morning, Gerard. How are you this morning? I'm doing fine, my friend. Uh, Just a sad day uh, across the state of Mississippi with the passing of Mississippi State head football coach Mike Leach. Don't know if you caught our discussion in the first segment, but... You know, even rivalries like this guy, I mean, that's what's so sad about it. He's not only was he a great leader of young men and a great football coach, he's just a good person. Yeah. And Uh, when good people leave this earth, when God has other plans, it's super sad. And that's kind of how I feel today. Yeah. Um, Discussing it earlier on an interview earlier, and I made the comment. I don't know if Mike Leach's legacy is greater as a as a coach or a character. You know, a guy who obviously revolutionized football, but at the same time gave us so many joyful moments, little quips, comments, jokes, even facial expressions that have become almost as big as the man himself. So, you know, the word legend gets thrown around a lot, but there's no way you can you can look at Mike Leach and his career and what he's done and what he's he's where he's been and things like that and not say that that man was a, a legend of college football. I think there's no doubt about it, and we are blessed to have had him for albeit a br- relatively brief period of time make a stop in his career here in Mississippi at Mississippi State. Uh, I just feel like that's that legacy obviously will live on forever. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. You know, uh, I, I was thinking actually last night a little bit about you know what's that first game going to be like in twenty twenty three? That first home game. I mean, talk about an emotional moment here in Starkville, and obviously the bowl game still to be played. You know, what is that going to be like for the for the team, for the players, for the staff, for the fans? Um, but Mike Leach's legacy, I always said only three years here in Starkville, but clearly had the program going in the right direction and was building it in his image and, and, and had completely changed Mississippi State from a team that, you know, rarely threw the football to a team that always threw the football and had fans excited about the future uh, at Mississippi State. So just a, just a really sad day. And the thing I keep coming back to is, as a sports guy, you know, like, I'm not really built to cover these things. You know, I don't, I don't know how to handle the, uh, the gravitas of the situation, I guess. So, you know, I just talk and, and I just do the best that I can. And, uh, it, but it is, it's definitely, you know, I feel like I've done the same interview like eight times now at this point because I just, we, I keep rehabbing, having to rehash this. Yeah. And it, it's just, it's something that the, the, um, the, the 
width of his reach across across the world. I mean, so many people chiming in today on social media about what Mike Leach meant to them, or just an experience that they had with him, and they're all unique. And they're they're all they all seem to have their own story, and it's just uh, it's just really interesting to to see it. Yeah, and speaking of social media, the one thing I observed, Brian, that I, I think is uh, worth pointing out and a bit unique. Don't know that I've seen so many people have their photo taken one-on-one, or maybe them and another member of their family, with the coach. I, I just I can't think of another coach where you see that much fan access and that many situations where he was willing to be part of a photo. I mean, just tons of them. And a lot of that is because, you know, if when you look at his career at Washington State, he walked everywhere. They said he lived right off of campus, and, you know, you catch him walking to campus, and if you talk to him, he'd take a photo with you. But, you know, there's a photo going around today that Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated tweeted of him, of him and my wife uh, from Saturday night where he stopped by my house for a few minutes at our Christmas party. Huh. And I mean, you know, that's what makes this sort of surreal for me, Gerard, is, you know, I saw the man 10, 12 hours before everything started to go go south for him yeah and uh it's it's, it's kind of tough to wrap your head around when you, th- you think about that the guy was at my house eating brownies and telling jokes and then mm. you know 10 hours later he's fighting for his life yeah that is uh stunning honestly and and i know uh you feel blessed uh, for him having touched you in that way and taking a, a time uh his precious time to spend with you and and i know you'll cherish that as well you should uh, Brian, forever. Have you spoken to to any of the players at this point? No, and I don't imagine Mississippi State will be making anybody available uh, anytime soon. Everybody needs time to process this grief. This has been a rough year for Mississippi State, Gerard. You think about it, you know, earlier in the year, uh, former MSU assistant Dave Nickel, who had moved on to a job at USC, he passed away tragically. Uh, and then, of course, you had the passing of Sam Westmoreland, yeah. the football player, uh, during the season. And now this. This has been a rough year for the maroon and white uh, family here in Starkville, and and but this one is just it's just a massive blow that nobody could have foreseen at any time. And it it's so unusual, Brian. I I don't know that I can think of too many situations where the head coach at a program like this passes away before the season's over. Essentially, I I can't I yeah. can't think of that or while they're uh, in that in that job. So. The last sitting head coach to pass away was Randy Walker at Northwestern in 2006, but that was in the offseason. Okay. He died during the summer. Um, beyond that, in the SEC, the last sitting head coach, you might remember this name, Gerard Bo Ryan, who had taken a job at LSU, never actually coached a game, Do remember died that. in a plane crash Yes. Uh, prior to ever taking a job. I mean, it's, we're talking 40-plus years since something like this has happened. It is a very, very rare occurrence. Extremely unusual. Um, what about anybody else outside the co- other coaches, the coaching staff? You talked to them yet, Brian, or are you same deal, just no. letting them process it, deal it's with it? Letting them process it, and like I said, Mississippi State, uh, I- I'm sure we'll have a statement. I do know that later on today on Sports Talk Mississippi, top of the 4 o'clock hour, Dr. Mark Keenum is planning to join us uh, to discuss uh, everything that, you know, and, and give us his-, his-, his remembrance and his tribute to Coach Mike Leach. So we'll have that. You know, you got to remember Mississippi State right now is in the middle of a, a search for a new athletic director. Now yeah. they'll have to add a search for a new head coach on top of that. Just a, mm. an absolute whirlwind uh, here in Starkville over the next few weeks with, with everything going on. And you still have a like I said, still have a bowl game to play 
and mm-hmm. I still have National Signing Day coming up to get ready for next season. So it's it is just an absolute hurricane of activity right up here, and then we'll have to see how they get through it. There's no doubt about it. On the ceasefire spire tax line, wanted to pass this on to you, Brian. As opposing optimistic versus hesitant state fans, we disagree a lot, but you've done a very, very good job with handling <laughs> such a tough situation that comes with no playbook. Both very appropriate, but very honest. Masterfully done. Hey, Dad, just want to pass that on to you, man. Thank, thank you very much. I appreciate that. I'm, I'm just doing the best I can. I, I don't know what to do, so I just I just do it. No, I, you're absolutely right. Uh, and so prepping for a bowl game, uh, as you said, on yeah. top of everything else, and, and one that uh, the Bulldogs will be traveling to Florida uh, to, to play how, on January 2nd. How poetic is it that they're playing at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Stadium with the pirate ship in the end zone? It's unbelievable. That... that, that that is a piece of, of serendipity or something there that you, you can't quite wrap your head around if you try to think about it for too long. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. In the last segment, I, sh- I shared that uh, Texas Tech University, I don't know if you saw that, but they, they lit up yes. their Jumbotron at AT&T Jones Stadium with a, a fantastic mm-hmm. um, representation of the coach and, and mm-hmm. um, it, it, with a sword. <laughs> it was just great, and you, yeah. you got to – Take your hats off to Texas Tech for remembering uh, and extending their concern and love for their former coach as well. He did. Uh, we're just about to a break here, and hopefully you can come back. We'll talk a little bit about his legacy. But you're so right. He revolutionized the game. And the other point you made is that traditionally, I think, um, Brian, it's fair to say, we kind of think of Mississippi State as being a little bit more defensive-focused. And that's, that's, oh, yeah. that's yeah. sort of been their calling card, their resume. But man, from a since... football perspective, Gerard, yeah, this is he, he brought the biggest change in my lifetime to Mississippi State University. Mississippi State has always been a team that ran the football and played defense. They continued to play defense under him, yes. very good defense. Yes, but I, I mean, I just remember the first game, Gerard, and, and throwing for six hundred plus yards against LSU, and you're just like, I mean, State probably didn't throw for 600 yards in the first three games of the year before. <laughs> We're so up just against a different a kind of football. On the other side, uh, let's continue discussing uh, the coach, his life, his legacy, and, and maybe get you to weigh in on some of your most memorable uh, moments about uh, Coach Mike Leach. We're coming right back sure. with Brian Haydad, co-host of Sports Talk Mississippi on Middays. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Sunset and evening star and one clear call for me and may there be no moaning of the bar when I put out to sea When I put out to sea When I 
Back on Midday Super Talk Mississippi. Unfortunately, Brian was not able to stay with us. We certainly understand that. And I feel for Brian Rhino. I know he's getting pulled. I mean, he's been somewhat elevated to uh, a key voice on Mississippi State Athletics. We're very proud of him for that. He does an outstanding job uh, in that role. And so he's in, in demand. And I feel for him because, as he said, he's a sports guy. And he's really not trained at how to deal with this. None of us are, honestly. Uh, we just so unexpected. And, and I find myself like, what do you say? And in this case, I just feel like that we should focus on his, um, his life, his legacy, his success, his unique style that brought so much pleasure to so many and develop so many youngsters, so many young players. And by the way, the, the swing your sword that I was talking about that is featured in big block writing next to the depiction of the coach and the skull and crossbones in the, of the pirate in the background that is presently on display at AT&T Jones Stadium at Texas Tech. That, of course, refers to his book. I wasn't sure if I made that clear or not, which I think was published a year or two after his coaching stint at Texas Tech. And he talks a lot in that book about his uh, his unique approach, his rather unorthodox approach. He would, I think, acknowledge that and clearly not apologize for that, and he shouldn't because it brought success everywhere he went. And I'm, it's my understanding that he, he had such a love of the game, and in particular for offense, clearly, that he started drawing up plays as a kid. You know, he just kind of had that unique skill, even as a young person. Well, I mean, everybody has a, a certain amount of pattern recognition. That, that's part of being a human. Yeah. But it does seem like he was one of those rare gifted people that could could see between the lines and could read patterns behind patterns underneath patterns. And he used that effectively in his career as a coach in his style of interviews and in his interpersonal relationship skills he he incorporated his ability to understand at a deeper level in a way that few can I agree with that totally and that I think is what he will be known for that's that's what you'll associate with him as a football coach you know he also wrote a book I think he may have combined in the authorship of a book entitled Geronimo. Oh, yeah. And he uh, he liked to play cowboys and Indians as a child. A lot of us did. Certainly, he's not far from my age, and that was a fairly common child's game out in the neighborhood. Uh, and, of course, that was during the period where primetime television was full of westerns, and often those westerns would feature uh, that conflict. And so he liked to play the role of the Indian, the underdog. And he kind of used that to inspire him in his his coaching approach and his approach to life in general. He, he wanted to be the underdog where success 
required him to be tougher, more resourceful, and use his noggin. We talked about that here recently on the program, the, the, the brain and human discernment, arguably the greatest gift that God blessed humans with. And he certainly he used his more than most, honestly. Uh, and in doing so, he um, left a lot of goodwill in his wake, and of course he succeeded in his job, which was winning football games, and more importantly, developing young men, young players. And so he, he talks about pain, pride, humility, family, the same things that it is reported shaped the life of Geronimo, that he also studied that and utilized that and applied that in his own situation, in his own life. And so... God bless uh, his family, again, the coaches, the players, and I certainly understand, didn't mean to put Brian on the spot, and I hope he knows that, I certainly understand that he's not yet spoken to any of the players and coaches, and I think he's wise, and just letting it settle for a while, but you know he will, and you know he'll do a fantastic job when he finally does uh, dig in and starts discussing the situation with those closer I can't imagine Rhino being a player in a situation like that because you know lots of those players. That's where they get their strength from the head coach, especially one that is so personable and so likable as he. And now they're not in their lives. It's like losing a parent, honestly. And it, it reopens the wound of losing a teammate in the season. It's true. That's absolutely true. Great point. But they, they have an empathy for his family that uh, few of us would probably understand at this point. I mean, anybody that's lost someone understands that the holidays can be tough. No doubt about it. But being this close to the holidays, I really do feel for his family. Yeah, there's absolutely no doubt. That's kind of an additional uh, element in the whole situation. Another dimension that uh, should be kept in mind, so close to the holidays and having completed a successful season heading into a January 2nd bowl game, yeah, it just makes the situation even more intense and more sad. But the state of Mississippi, as I said, the way I'll always look at it is we are blessed for having him be part of our Mississippi family, and that's the, the way I see it. It's exactly what uh, he was, and his mark has been left on Mississippi State, everyone that came in contact with him, and, and uh, again, our entire state. May he rest in peace. Mm. Okay, folks, we, uh, we've got a lot of stuff going on, certainly in our, our state and in our country. And coming up at 11.05, Carl Zabo, Vice President and General Counsel of NetChoice, is going to talk about an act known as the uh, bill, the Open App Markets Act. And we will discuss the cybersecurity implications of uh, that legislation, as well as uh, po potential hindrance to innovation. It's just another situation where the government just wants to get involved in everything. I'm really so tired of it. 
On the way in, I did catch uh, President Joe Biden's speech. He uh, addressed the nation live this morning at 9 a.m. our time, 10 a.m. Eastern, discussing the CPI report released about 7.30 or so a.m. our time, the Consumer Price Index, the measure of inflation at the retail level. It moderated a bit. Analysts were expecting 7.3% annualized year over year. It came in at 7.1%. And month to month for the month of November, it came in at 0.1%. Expectations were 03 So we saw a slight uptick in inflation month to month, but lower than expected. The markets reacted positively to that. And at one time, the Dow was up almost 900 points. It, it has since paired those gains down to 200 points or so. I think a, a bit of euphoria set in on the announcement of the CPI. The, uh, the NASDAQ up 202. The yield on the 10-year, wow, really plummeted uh, 0.133% or 13 basis points. And that, that's because what happens there, folks, is when inflation is thought to be moderating while interest rates are pegged a bit higher, such as in a 10-year, investors try to get as many of those as they can to lock into those present higher rates, thinking, anticipating that they will fall, and there's kind of the last chance to get in on the higher rates and lock in for 10 years, and that drives yields down. It's kind of the way those cause and effect situations work. So we are stepping aside for a break right here on this uh, sad day across the state of Mississippi with the passing of head Mississippi State football coach Mike Leach. We're coming right back on Middays in the Element Well Studios. Please stay with us. To see my pilot face to face when I have crossed the bar. Come on, come on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. Thanks so much for joining us. 601-879-4395. That would be the ceasefire text line if you care to join the conversation. Tim and McGee says, even though I'm a Rebel fan, if you don't like Coach Leach, you don't like people. So sorry, hey, Dad. Our state has lost an icon in the college football world. I'm a Mississippian above anything else. Jeff says, hey, Gerard, you mentioned that he was a lawyer at one time. No, actually, I just said that he has a law degree. I'm not sure he ever practiced law, honestly. I'm just not sure. 
I just found out that he never actually played the game of football. That's amazing. Can you verify that for me? Thanks, Jeff. Rhino, I don't, I don't know, honestly. I don't know that I've ever heard him talk about it or seen any accounts of it. Uh, he so didn't play sure. college football, but I'm pretty sure he played it in his youth. Yeah. I think most of us did. Darren in Jackson says the holidays will never be the same for his family. I had a brother who was murdered December 20th, 1992. Wow. My family, especially my parents, never got over it. Christmas has never been the same. I'm so sorry to hear that, Darren. Really sorry about that. Let's see, a very similar situation happened in 1989 in South Carolina with the unexpected passing of Coach Joe Morrison in February following a very successful uh, season. Thomas and Greenwood wants to talk about Medicaid expansion and welfare. He's kind of got a one-track mind along that. He wants to know why aren't more Republicans calling to reduce our welfare rolls. Well, I'm asking you, Thomas, when are you going to go public with your call to for the state of Mississippi to exit traditional Medicaid? When are you going to do that? I'm asking, I, I guess what I don't understand is, and I'm not calling for the expansion of Medicaid here by any stretch, but it seems like if you oppose expansion of Medicaid, you should also oppose base Medicaid. So all those who very strongly oppose expansion, when are they going to go public and call for the state of Mississippi to end participation in Medicaid? Some 800,000 Mississippians are enrolled in Medicaid. It costs the state nearly a billion dollars a year. It is the second line item to education in terms of general fund expenditures, when are we going to call for ending Medicaid in the state of Mississippi? Who's going to do that? Will you do that, Thomas? I know you oppose expansion, and I know you fashion yourself as deeply conservative. In doing so, you would oppose all forms of welfare, That includes base Medicaid. So I'm challenging you to call your rep, your senator, state leaders, and demand that they end Mississippi's participation in base Medicaid. Otherwise, it's kind of inconsistent, in my view. And there may be some folks out there that think that notion is crazy. Tell me why. How, How is that? Anything but consistent. Hmm. So the president was taking victory laps this morning, Rhino, because inflation moderated a tad. And I'm seeing liberals out there saying, huge decrease in inflation from 7.3% to 7.1% year over year, from 0.3% expected to point one month to month. I don't exactly describe that, characterize that as huge. Well, without exaggeration, they would have very little meaning in their miserable lives. Sure seems like it. 
How else do you explain how easily they get offended besides they exaggerate everything in their own mind? Man, uh, I just don't get it. I really don't. It, uh, he, he goes on to take victory laps about, we're growing the economy. He, what's his famous quip? From the bottom up and middle out. I don't exactly know what the hell that means, but he says it. I don't think he knows what it means, honestly. He says it all the time. But what I heard him bragging about again, no other president has cut the deficit by $1.7 trillion. That's because you increased it by $1.7 trillion. I just don't understand how he can say that with a straight face. I'm going to go spend $1.7 trillion, but then next year I'm not, and I'm going to brag about cutting it. It's like digging a hole and then bragging about putting the dirt back in the hole. Look what I did. I filled the hole up. Well, you, you're the one that dug the hole. <laughs> I just don't understand it. And the problem is, right, the minions are going, Yay, Joe, you're great. <laughs> they don't understand it either. Taking a break here for Fox News and Super Talks News. Super Talk News. We've got Carl Zabo, Vice President and General Counsel of NetChoice, next. And now, and now, another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone, to Middays, Hour 2 of the program, Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well Studios. Joining us now, calling in, Carl Zabo, Vice President and General Counsel of NetChoice. Carl, welcome to Middays. Thanks for having me. You bet. So we wanted to have you on to talk about the Open App Markets Act. Tell us a little bit about this legislation and why you're concerned about it. Yeah, uh the Open App Markets Act, or so-called Open App Markets Act, is anything but. Basically, this is a bill that is being fast-tracked through Congress that will force uh, apps to basically take on any payment processor, take on uh, lots of other problems, uh, including cybersecurity exemptions, and completely ignore the impact to actual end-users and what's best for customers. What it's essentially doing is trying to break apart the Google and app stores. And while some of us may think, oh, that's a great idea, one of the unintended consequences of the legislation is essentially that today parents can control when their kids do in-app purchases. Mm -hmm. You will lose that control. One of the other things that it will do is it will empower uh, potential cyber that criminals to gain access to our files. We don't want to do that. And the Republican proponents are saying this will enable uh, more conservative speech on uh, the app stores, whether it's Apple or Google. But by the same token, we got to remember who's the main sponsor of this bill. It's Democratic Senator uh, Amy Klobuchar, who's saying the exact opposite. 
She's saying this will allow Apple and Google to do more censorship of their app stores. So what we're seeing is a bill that's had no hearing. It's had hmm. no uh, debate on the floor of the Senate. And essentially, they're trying to, like, ram this through at the 11th hour. And whenever Congress tries to ram something through, it's always a bad idea for Americans. No doubt about it. Uh, typically, so I, I'm looking at the legislation itself. Uh, typically, these things are so long. There's <laughs> there's so much language in it. Nobody in Congress is reading this stuff. Who, uh, stuff. Whoever the staffers are and the wonks that put this together, without even analyzing it in detail here, I could pretty much bet that, as you said, it is jam-packed with all sorts of language and provisions that does way more than even what it purports to do. Yeah, one of the things that I found, keep in mind, I've been D.C. basically my whole life, so don't hold that against me. <laughs> but if you've got a great idea, you want to shout it from the rooftops. You want to celebrate it. You want to tell everybody about it. You want to have as many hearings as you can on it, because then people get to see what you're doing, and you get to go home and tell your constituents, look at all the great work I'm doing. This bill is the exact opposite. Nobody's really talking about it. No hearings are being held on it. No press is being done on that. And you have to ask why. What are they hiding? Why isn't this going through regular order? Why isn't this given the necessary sunshine that laws need to take? And basically, it's because it's a bad deal for somebody. At the end of the day, it's being pushed by a couple of giant corporations, uh, Spotify and Epic Games, because they don't like having to pay a service fee to Apple or Google. Right. That's what it is at the end of the day. Right. And those service fees go to help subsidize the cost of our devices, which are already expensive. So as much as I like Spotify, as much as I like Epic Games, I don't think the taxpayers need to start giving them more money, which is essentially what this legislation does. Yeah. Uh, you're exactly right. Uh, what I recall is uh, uh, the game uh, makers. That they were the main ones because they they wanted to to be able to use their own payment processing feature and not have to pay Apple the fee for using theirs. But I think what gets lost in in that discussion, Carl, is that let's face it: without Apple and Google's platform, there is no app market. You don't have access to the hundreds of millions, billions of users, essentially, that uh, use the platform to buy what you're selling. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like uh, Edgewater Mall, right? Somebody builds the mall, they build the roads, they pay for the infrastructure, and they basically should be allowed to make money on their creation. And, and what you're seeing is Spotify and Epic Games are like, no, you shouldn't be allowed to do that. Let's remember, Spotify wouldn't be Spotify but for exactly. the iPhone and the Android phone. And so basically they got rich off these platforms, and now that they got rich, they want to stop paying. Exactly. I t completely agree. Uh, when you look at the, uh, the economy, <laughs> essentially I'm calling it a digital economy, an app economy, that wasn't even in our vernacular a short few years ago. And now, it's, not only is it huge, it's a fast and easy and convenient route to market with whatever it is you're selling. Uh, in, in one case, it's music subscriptions. In the other case, it's games of those two companies. Seems like you'd be more than willing to, uh, to, to pay a little bit uh, for the, the convenience and just the opportunity there. But you're right. They've all gotten extremely wealthy uh, 
from utilization of these inventions by these companies. Why does the government, Carl, think they need to interfere here? Uh, unfortunately, I hate to say it, this is crony capitalism. Yeah. This is where Spotify and Epic Games go up to a bunch of lawmakers and say, can you pass this bill for us? And I think, unfortunately, some of the lawmakers have good intentions and have been misguided. Others have been kind of railroaded by these two corporations. Mm-hmm. And it's a bad deal for Americans. And uh, one one last point is these businesses, if, if they don't want to use Apple's payment processing, if they don't want to pay a service fee, they can do exactly what Netflix does today. And Netflix says you cannot sign up for their service through your iPhone or Android device. Hmm. You do not use the... Apple or Google stores for your payments. Okay. You do it straight to Netflix. So Apple and Google don't get a nickel from Netflix. Yeah. Spotify, Epic Games, if they don't like what Apple or Google are doing, they can just say, give us money on our website. Yeah. Just circumvent it all together. It makes sense. I mean, it just seems to me like as a private company, uh, Apple and Google have the right to, to charge for those services and uh, and to restrict the platform in that way. It's their platform. It's their invention. It's their creation. It just always seems like the government thinks they should get involved under some crazy pretense that this will uh, make things more fair. Is it also true that there's some Republicans on board with this as well? Marsha Blackburn comes to mind. Has she signed on to this legislation? Yeah, and, and, and I, I respect uh, Senator Blackburn. I respect her back when she was over in the House. She signed on to this, and, and look, she's coming at this from a worried about two two players in the market. I get that. Uh, it's it's you know it, it's a concern. It's, it's something that I kind of disagree with on a on a fundamental level, but it's a legitimate concern. She's coming from it with true intention. But what then concerns me is the other co-sponsors on the Dem side. Yeah, uh, as I mentioned, you've got uh, Senator Amy Klobuchar from Minnesota who is trying to use antitrust as a launch pad for her 2024 presidential bid. <laughs> and that's where it concerns me, because you've seen a lot of groups on the conservative side come out against this legislation because of the way it could potentially be weaponized against conservative apps and, yeah. you know, under the guise of security, under the guise of safety, yeah. which are two provisions that are in this bill. So... Once again, if this is a great idea, let's put it through regular order. Let's have robust hearings, discussions, debates. And if it's a great idea, it'll fly through Congress. But mm-hmm. if it's not a great idea, then there's then we got to really wake up when Congress is trying to do something at the 11th hour right before Christmas. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I, I hope... Uh... You don't think they would try to insert some of this in a continuing resolution or omnibus budget bill? Is they're kind of under the gun to get something done there, do you? Uh, that's actually one of the things that uh, we are watching for. We're, we're in lots of discussion. There's, I, anytime you've got an omnibus piece of legislation, it becomes a Christmas tree. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, where everyone's trying to hang their bills that they can't get through Congress onto this Christmas tree. Yep. But if they get this through, for Americans at the bottom of that Christmas tree is a giant lump of coal mm. in the form of loss of security, loss of control, 
and more government oversight over our smartphones. Yeah. Well, we're going to be keep, keeping up with it, and we appreciate you, Carl, for coming on Middays and breaking it down for us. Uh, Carl Zabo, Vice President and General Counsel of NetChoice, has been our guest. I'm sure we'll talk to you some more about that. Appreciate you coming on, Carl. Thanks for having me. You got it. Middays is stepping aside for a break right here, and we're coming back on the other side. Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Now, now, on to the real part. Dynamite! On Super Talk Mississippi. Middays, Super Talk Mississippi, the Jay Giles Band with Freeze Frame bumping us into this segment. You've probably no doubt heard that FTX founder Sam Bankman Freed charged with fraud. I believe he's been arrested. Yep. Been arrested. And the brigade of tinfoil hats is out in full force. And I just, I don't really understand the point of some of their statements, but... What are they saying? Well, they're saying he was arrested in the Bahamas to keep him from testifying in front of Congress today. Hmm. When he wasn't even going to be in person, he was going to video in, which means he was probably going to back out and wind up having the Democrats on the seats to cover for him. But he got arrested. Like, how is that covering for anybody? How is that getting him away from... I mean, he got arrested. Unbelievable. So John J. Ray III, the new chief executive of the company FTX, he's been testifying in front of the House of Representatives, <laughs> and he's been talking about discussing, honestly, the utter lack of just simple record-keeping at this multi-billion-dollar company. At one time, I think at its highest level, as I recall, was worth thirty plus billion dollars. On paper. Yeah. So he said exactly. So he said employees would handle invoices and expenses over Slack, which is kind of an internal communications tool. And this multi billion dollar company used QuickBooks for its accounting. <laughs> About sixty bucks or something, right? <laughs> They ran their business on QuickBooks. Unfreaking believable. How does this happen and nobody knows? And so many because people. Because he paid the right people. Well, I think you're right about that. And by the way, QuickBooks is a, is a, a nice tool for a small, even some mid sized businesses. But running a multi billion dollar crypto exchange? No. That is not sufficient. 
So what is being revealed is a complete lack of any sort of traditional corporate controls and systems and processes and policies. Well, of course you're going to fail. And I think all intentional. They also had commingling of assets now, we found out, uh, between FTX and uh, their side trading platform, Alameda, a subsidiary, and it really didn't have clear separation of the assets and the balance sheets there. Just incredible. He spent about $5 billion between 21 and 22. I'm laughing because I can't even figure out how you could spend that much money that fast on really a bunch of nothing, is what it amounted to. Loans, etc. It's just a bad deal altogether. I mean, this guy's a, a modern-day modern uh, Bernie Madoff. I mean, it, he wasn't technically, I guess, he, he wasn't involved in a Ponzi scheme, but he was defrauding customers and committing fraud. And the mainstream media is somewhat mom because he's their pals, right? He's pals with Democrats. It's okay if you're he giving... He was donating money to all the right causes. Exactly. He was saying all the right platitudes. So you know all those people on the left that constantly scorn us and repeat the refrain, it's the end of democracy? You know what? This is an example of the end of democracy when certain individuals in our society by virtue of whom they contributed to, are treated differently. Which is why I don't get the whole, he, he, he got arrested to keep him from testifying in front of Congress. Oh, you mean talking to his buddies? Yeah. Whereas now he's arrested. He's going to have to face a court of law where evidence will be presented. When's the last time anything happened mm. after a congressional hearing? Unbelievable. They just get up there and get their sound bites for their next campaign. Mm-mm. Oh, me. So we'll continue to watch this saga unfold. We got that saga. We got the Twitter saga. Part five, I think they're calling it now. How many more parts are there to this deal? Every day, it's more drops. <laughs> Is it like Star Trek, where only certain numbered ones are good? That's right. Oh. Like the first drop isn't that good, but the second one's stellar, but the third drop's kind of mad, but the fourth one's great, and then the fifth one's, what is this? <laughs> it's, it's an every other one deal. It's kind of hopping around like the market, which has now turned negative, folks. It was up almost 900 in pre-market trading. Now it's down a point or two. The old rhino kangaroo is exhausted today. There ain't no doubt about it. The markets can't figure out what they want to do here. They're, they're processing this somewhat better news on the inflation front, which just really, the report today says, mm, it's not as bad. But the left, including Joe Biden, immediately go out in front of the public and say, look at what we've done, Biden said this morning. Our economic plan is working. <laughs> We're bringing the price down. It's only up 7.1%. And then bragging about cutting the deficit. And once again, as he does every single time, he conflates and confuses deficit with debt. I heard it again this morning. He conflated it, confused it, misstated it, 
I'm not surprised because I don't think he knows what the difference is. He just sees a D and an E and just says whatever, his <laughs> teleprompter, deficit, debt, but well, doesn't matter. And he's bragging about that. I, I just, I cannot comprehend how in this day and age you can brag about producing a $1.1 trillion deficit. <laughs> it's just bizarre. And the left is hanging their hat on this narrative that uh, the inflationary issues that we're all experiencing are because of COVID in Ukraine. They're still hanging their hat on that. Had nothing to do with the $1.9 trillion of cash he dumped out of helicopters, having been in office about a month or two. No, that's not an issue. And the $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill, nah, pay no attention to that. And the $500 billion CHIPS Act, corporate welfare, and he's bragging again about manufacturing jobs are coming back. And, you know, we reviewed this not too long ago on the program. It's not that I'm opposed to manufacturing jobs, but this economy is not built on manufacturing jobs. It is a tiny fraction of the total jobs in this country. A lot of people still think, as Joe does, that we're living in the 30s and the 40s, where that, in fact, a lot of people were employed in the manufacturing sector. Because it took more people to manufacture stuff. Now it takes fewer people, more machines. That's a good thing. That's productivity. We were just down at the trademark talking about uh, this, these new John Deere implements that can run 24 hours a day without a person inside them to do the work that would require multiple days and someone inside atop the machine to control it. Now they do it on their phone. That's a good thing. So we got fewer people producing more output, more efficiently. This guy just doesn't get that. But he's taking victory laps this morning. I, I got to tell you, I, I almost had to pull over. I was getting so mad listening to lie after lie after lie and, and just uh, mis, mischaracterizing. Yeah, look what we did here. We cut the deficit. First president in history. Gosh. But it's only because you enacted bills last year that spent $3.1 trillion over and above our regular spending. It's just mind-boggling to me that he could say that with a straight face and just bottom up, middle out. I don't know exactly what the hell that means. And, and yeah, so you're taking a victory lap because you're giving money to chip manufacturers, giving it to them, no, essentially no strings attached, and then you're bragging because, okay, they're going to actually take that money that we're just lapping onto our debt and build more factories. Well, there's nothing noble, there's nothing, there's no accomplishment there. And when we come back, uh, interest on the debt. I got to share some details on that. Two months of the fiscal year at the federal government in the books. You won't believe what that's like now. I know a lot of folks get bent out of shape about money we're sending to Ukraine and foreign aid, and I'm with them. But when I come back, we'll just discuss a con contrast between those two expenditures. I think you'll be shocked at where we stand on that. Middays is breaking out now, and we're coming right back with more. Stay with us. 
with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. But a song we sing Fears we will die You can make the mountains ring Or make the angels cry The young bloods get together Bumping us into this segment on Midday Super Talk Mississippi in the Element Wealth Studios. Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. As the old kangaroo is just hopping along mightily, the Dow down six points. Gee whiz. All over the map here. Cannot make its mind. It's lost. Kind of like Biden yesterday. Did you, did you see that he and First Lady Dr. Jill Biden, they were speaking at a Toys for Tots event, making some remarks. And after his speech, once again, he turns and asks the question, which way do we go? You would think that his handlers and he would have that discussion before he gets on the stage. Is it not spelled out on his little cheat sheet for him? I thought so. You greet them. You sit here. You call on this reporter. You <laughs> exit stage left. So, true story. A little girl grabbed him by the hand that was in attendance and led him in the right direction. Now, I'm grateful, let me point out, for this little girl and her, her courtesy and her respect there. But folks, if our president is relying on a small child to help them find their way, this room wasn't that big. There's not a lot of folks in it. Is that not disturbing that this is the commander-in-chief? They were at Joint Base Meyer-Henderson Hall, and uh, it's marked the 75th anniversary of Toys for Tots. That's been around 75 years. Wow. The uh, Toys for Tots organization distributes roughly 18 million toys to 7 million children annually. That is awesome. So, you know, I, I give props to the president for going and celebrating the Toys for Tots contributions and the organization. But man, every single time he speaks, he gotta know he's gotta get help on which way to go. That's just disturbing to me. I just wonder if does he conduct his affairs that way as the president? Somebody's always seems to be. Remember the Easter, the the costume bunny rabbit had to kind of direct him with the Easter egg hunt there on the White House lawn. It's always being led around like that. 
And I'm not saying that, honestly, to mock or make fun or ridicule him. I'm saying it out of being a concerned American. Doesn't engender a whole lot of confidence. No. It's, uh, it's just rightfully, I think, disturbing. Okay, so the debt, interest on government debt. <laughs> Again, a lot, lot of uh, complaints, grievances expressed about why do we keep sending Ukraine money. I get it. I, I'm at the end of that rope, too. I think we're in for $51 billion at this point. He, he wants $40 billion more, some odd. And folks always, of course, uh, expressing their concern and their disapproval of this country sending money abroad. It averages, we looked it up, you remember, when the whole Ukraine stuff got started, we average about $40 billion a year. Now, that's not nothing. But I would invite folks to consider this. Our interest on government debt, this is from the Treasury Department. I'm such a weirdo, I actually subscribe to the Treasury's monthly Treasury statement. It arrives in my email. <laughs> Knowing me now for a couple of years, you can believe that, oh, right? Yeah. yeah. So it arrives in my email, and I, of course diligently open it and review it. So, interest on the debt. You ready for this? We've been operating in the current fiscal year 23, began October 1. The federal government operates on a September 30th fiscal year in. October, November, in the books. Interest paid on the debt, $103 billion, $50 billion a month, as much in one month on interest as we've sent to Ukraine over a year and a half. One month, $50 billion. You can do the math. We're on an annualized run rate of $600 billion of debt interest. Now, just for comparison's sake, the number one line item of spending in the federal budget is Social Security, slightly over a trillion dollars a year. Interest, $600 billion. It is approaching the size, in terms of expenditures, of the military. And in the next couple of years, it will likely surpass it. We will spend more money on debt interest than we do on the military. By 2049, it is estimated to clock in at $1 trillion. $1 trillion per year of debt interest. Wrap your head around that. And in the meantime, your Congress, the U.S. Congress, is working on a spending bill, and the big debate is, should this be pushed into the next year when the Republicans are seated in the House where spending originates, Meaning, 
we, we could pass a short-term continuing resolution which just keeps spending level just to continue to operate the government until such time that the Republican-controlled House can piece together these dozen omnibus bills that fund discretionary spending. So the baseline bill that, that is being debated in terms of an omnibus bill right now, the Democrats want to do it now so they can get all of their goodies included. $1.7 trillion, which includes another $38 billion of Ukraine, another $37 billion of disaster, another 10 of COVID, and waiving the statutory pay-go, which means you don't raise spending without cutting expenses, $130 billion there. But they're also looking at pension bailouts for some private pensions in the Midwest to the tune of $100 billion, a $1.9 trillion deal, <laughs> when you add all, all of it up. Just unbelievable. More COVID money, more tax extenders, more pension bailouts. It's essentially a Christmas tree of goodies. Just a lame duck session spending package that, when it's all said and done, is going to cost more than the American Rescue Plan. The ARPA, as it is called for acronym SHORT. That's how we roll. Just unbelievable. And in the meantime, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, they want a $10 billion raise next year. They want $22.4 billion, nearly double their normal budget. And that's coming from Director Rochelle Walensky, of course. Says we got to have $10 billion more. So we can fight that COVID. Just on and on and on. Where does it end? Where does it end? It doesn't feel like it does. It just doesn't feel like it does. There's just no interest on the part of lawmakers to end it. You want to know why we're experiencing this 7.1% inflation that Joe Biden is bragging about? Because it's not 8.3. You're supposed to be dancing in the streets at that news. Well, this is why. There's nothing in that $1.9 trillion that is supply-side, that boosts supply as a way to combat inflation. Nothing. No supply-side policies. Just spend, spend, spend. $31 trillion of debt, $1.1, $1.2 trillion of deficit. Joe Biden is bragging about it. I just can't make it up. Ray Charles bumping us out of this segment here on Middays. We're coming right back with more final segment in this hour, and then a whole nother hour left. Stay with us. You know what that means. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. We'll do it live. On Super Talk Mississippi.
back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. A little Leonard Skinnard. So, <laughs> geez, just as it can't get any wackier. <laughs> Senate-elect from the great state of Pennsylvania, John Fetterman, the weirdo of all weirdos, and Ayanna Presley, member of the House of Representatives from Massachusetts, also a member of the squad. The New York Times has listed them among the 93 most stylish people of the year. Fetterman! I could see Ayanna Presley, but... Fetterman? Fetterman? The guy that spends every waking moment in basketball shorts and a hoodie? It's like a hoodie he got out of the trash, even. It doesn't even look clean to me. Seriously, yeah. It's like him. every picture I've ever seen of Ayanna Presley, she's got a pretty smart outfit I on. I would agree. But I, I just don't understand the, the love for Fetterman's fashion sense. It's what the heck are they thinking? Virtue signaling garbage is what it is. I really do believe that. So, going back to my early days of hosting this show, anytime I would try to discuss the the conflict that divides this country, or the conflicts, and why it's so hard for us to achieve any sort of consensus on, on almost any issue or policy. I've always kind of pointed to the fact that we can't agree on how many genders there are. How the hell are we supposed to agree? Which is pretty fundamental. How can we agree on complex matters like economic policy and foreign policy and the like. Well, case in point, the Cambridge Dictionary. They have changed the definition of man and woman. I told you. I freaking told you. Now the dictionary people are saying it. It includes people who, of course, identify as a gender other than their biological sex. We can't agree on that. Who identify? Again, I ask, where are the feminists? How yeah. have the feminists allowed dudes to cosplay as women and get away with it? They've turned women into a costume. That's true. They're nowhere to be found. Heaven forbid you wear a poncho, a sombrero, and a big bushy mustache because that's cultural appropriation of the Mexicans. But it's totally fine for a dude named Britta Filter to march around a church wearing women's clothing. Britta Filter. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's true, though. Sadly true. So listen to the definition here. The definition of a woman. This is in the dictionary. An adult who lives and identifies as female, though they may have been said to have a different sex at birth. That's in the dictionary. What are we doing? We're nuts. We have absolutely jumped the shark. It is crazy. 
Oh, geez. I, I guess it's just one of those deals where everything, every time I think we've seen the nuttiest. Uh, have you seen, see if I can get this right here, that there are members of the military that are now engaged in this, this weirdo pup stuff where you think you're a dog, an animal, and they're wearing the U.S. military uniform with these dog masks? You seen this? Oh, yeah. This is nuts. Oh, gosh. What, what do they call it? There's some... Pup play. That's it. Thank you. Another one of those internet rabbit holes I warn you, do not go down. <laughs> you will not like what you find. I, I did. And you're right. I didn't like it. I was totally astounded. It's, it appears this is being condoned by the U.S. military. I'm looking at a photo right here of a colonel. Colonel, let's see if I can get it right. Colonel Brian T. Donnelly, retired, and he's posing in uniform with a dog mask. He's got his formal army uniform on, and Rhino, it's adorned with, with medals, with ribbons. He's obviously accomplished, and he's got a dog mask on. What the hell is this? Led Zeppelin. I need some Led Zeppelin. Coming right back here on Middays after the news break. And now, and now. the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Everyone to midday Super Talk Mississippi. Okay, so they're also referring to it as pup kink. <laughs> well, yeah, everything has to have a sexual twist to it now. <laughs> it's surreal looking at this photo here of this retired U.S. Army colonel with his uniform on. Adorned with all of the ribbons, looks like uh, he's also maybe got uh, the airborne insignia as well. Uh, and then the the colonels, birds on the lapels, and a pup mask. And the hashtags are hashtag alpha pup, hashtag army pup. Hashtag proud pup. What is this? I I wasn't even aware of this stuff. I mean, I really wasn't. 
We are... Um, the way I look at it is, at least for now, we still live in a free country, so you're free to let your freak flag fly, but I'm free to think you're weird for doing so. But should the military not step in when you're... I thought there were some rules, guidelines, protocols about when you wore the military, the U.S. military uniform. Does it I mean, if he's active duty, mask? yeah, it might fall outside the, the uniform code, but it, he's retired, so it's just a bad look. There's okay. nothing technically wrong with it. Is it just me, or does it not seem like that we are whoop, condoning a depravity in this country? Oh, yeah, because if you don't, then you get labeled with a phobia or an ism, <laughs> and you are othered. Uh, you're right about that. So, in addition, uh, there's like a photo of two military men in uniform with pup masks on that are like embracing each other in a bit of a risque type pose. Well, this is crazy. I, I had no idea. I mean, every day it's a hole in my beer, you had not seen nothing yet kind of deal, isn't it? We had the dean of students at a prestigious private school. We featured a video that was uh, captured by Project Veritas where he's bragging about the discussion of and show and tell in the classroom of youngsters in school with sexual toys and stuff. We're, we really are. We're promoting and condoning depravity. It sure does feel like it. Now it's extended into the military. As Thomas and Greenwood, I think, correctly says, General Milley approves. He's the one, of course, who said that white rage was the biggest challenge in the U.S. Army. Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Milley, testified in front of Congress. White rage. I'm still waiting for an example of it somewhere. I've not found, by the way, a person in the active military that's ever said, yeah, biggest problem i got to worry about every day is white rage. I'm still waiting to meet that person, to come forward and say that. If that's the case, I agree. I'm just not buying into that being a top priority. Pay no attention to China and Russia and other substantial ardent foes who seek to wipe us off the face of the planet. Don't worry about that, terrorists, etc., like this idiot we just released back to Russia. Yeah, that's not important. Oh, gosh, it, it really is crazy. So Gary from Tishomingo, we were talking about this explosion of debt, uh, pardon me, interest, which is a direct result of the sharp increase in debt. And Gary says $600 billion a year. So for the first two months of the year, in case you missed us, in the last hour we discussed the latest Treasury report showing that for the first two months of the U.S. government's fiscal year, the Treasury incurred a hundred billion dollars of interest. That's 87 percent, by the way, greater than the same period last year because of interest rates and the sharp increase in outstanding debt. 
So Gary from Tishomingo says, where does most of it go to other countries, the $600 billion of interest? It, it turns out that this is one of those uh, misunderstood issues. And I know we've shared that on the program before, so I apologize if we're repeating information that you may already have heard, but I think most people largely think that we borrow money from China. If you ask the average person on the street, who do we owe all that debt to? They'd say it was China. We only exist because of China's benevolence in buying our debt. We borrow money from them. That's completely factually inaccurate. Of the $31 trillion of debt we, we have on the books, $7.6 trillion is owed to foreign countries. The rest of it is owed to the Fed. It's owed to banks, depositors, investors who have bought the debt that are in this country. We literally owe it to ourselves, the vast majority of it. If you are interested in, of those foreign countries, the $7.6 trillion that we owe, for quite some time, Japan has topped that list. We presently owe them $1.24 trillion. We owe China $960 billion, the U.K. $615, all the way on down to Taiwan, to whom we owe $233 billion, sprinkle in Luxembourg, Cayman Islands, Switzerland, Ireland, Belgium, France, as well, all in the $200 to $300 billion apiece uh, amount of debt owed. But we owe it to ourselves. We're not borrowing from other countries in any significant way. And that's what makes it even more difficult. The largest holder of our debt is Social Security. And I don't want to get into those details again. I know we've talked about that extensively, but that's all in accordance with law. We've paid every penny back. And no, we haven't stolen from Social Security, as many believe, which has caused its, its financial instability and its problems. In fact, by law, the excess of collections versus payments in Social Security are loaned to the U.S. Treasury. The U.S. Treasury pays principal and interest. They've never, ever defaulted on one penny of that. Hasn't ever been stolen. But the Social Security Trust Fund does have a sizable amount of debt on its balance sheet, or should say receivable on its balance sheet. It's the U.S. Treasury that has the debt on its balance sheet as a liability owing it to the uh, Social Security. The, you know, the military retirement fund, we also owe it. We borrow from it $1.18 trillion, which is incredible. Social Security, at any point in time, is $2.75 trillion. Bottom line here is the old wily Congress is talking about spending more, and the Democrats are trying to push through, trying to ram through, an omnibus bill while they're in control to ensure they include all their goodies in it, including another $10 billion to Rochelle Walensky at the CDC and a pension bailout and more money for Ukraine and just go down the list. It'll be jam chock full, plugged with all kinds of goodies before they're out of control of the House. And the Republicans are fighting to avoid that, 
and to push it into the next uh, session after the first of the year when the Republicans control the House so they can sit down and have a serious, meaningful debate and create these omnibus bills. It is an omnibus bill that consists of 12 separate spending bills to fund the discretionary category of government. And so we've got this kind of war going on, if you will, figuratively speaking, as the Democrats try to... It's a scorched-earth policy. This is what I've always been concerned about, Rhino, with respect to term limits, is because I think this is exactly what you would see with term limits. If a member of Congress, I don't care what party they're in, if they're on their way out because they're terming out, they honestly start thinking more about themselves and their own hide rather than they do the good of the country and their constituents. And whatever they can jam in, let's say, a spending bill or other legislation that feathers their nest once they're out, that's what they're into. If they're accountable to the voters, they're a little more tempered in the way they govern. But if they're out of there, yeah, stick that in there, and old Joe's going to hire me for something and pay me a bunch of money because I got him a bunch on my way out. That's my concern about that. Coming back with more here on Middays in the Element Well Studios. Everybody's doing the mess around. Okay, is everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone, to Middays, the Kang. So, Jimmy from Enid wanted to know the name of the bill that we were discussing with uh, Carl uh, Zabo earlier on in the program, the Vice President and General Counsel of NetChoice, and he was talking about a bill entitled the Open App Markets Act. It is uh, S. Period 2710 is the actual bill number. So Jimmy says, I'm going to call some senators. I, I just think this is another situation, Rhino. It just seems like they can't stand they being these, uh, these lefties in government. Why such deep disdain and contempt for markets, for corporations, for companies? It's they're just always blasting them because they just produce a profit. It's like it's a sin to produce a profit. Well, the irony is one of the, the two parties that he was talking about, Spotify and Epic Games. Epic Games, if you're unfamiliar, is the, the parent company for the game Fortnite. Right. That has been all the rage for what seems like a decade now. Yep. But... The irony is they've already tried to get their way with this by suing Apple over this very deal. And basically the courts said what you were saying, it's a free market, and they came up with the market. Yeah. I mean... So the courts 
swatted away Epic Games' attempt to not have to pay Apple to use the Apple Store. And now they've decided to lobby Congress to do it for them. You know, we should be grateful. We should be praising these innovators, these companies who created this ecosystem. I think everybody watching or listening, including you and me, Rhino, know somebody who now makes their living totally off utilization of those platforms to sell something. Whether it's apps they created, goods and services they sell through apps on the platform, through third-party apps. Think about the third-party ecosystem that Amazon gave rise to, which isn't possible without Apple and Google, which isn't possible without the Internet, which isn't possible without the innovators back in the 80s that came up with a whole idea of moving bits around on wires between machines. That's how this stuff works. They just lose sight of that. And every time they come up with some stupid law, which, by the way, just as uh, Mr. Sabo said, he's spot on. Oh, it's easy after you've made your fortune. There's nothing noble about being an elected leader, an elected official serving in the U.S. Congress, for example. There's nothing noble about recutting the pie. It's once the money's been made, once wealth has been created, yeah, re- retrenching it, retrading it, that's easy. There's nothing noble about that. What's noble is getting the hell out of the way to allow the innovators and the God given brains in human beings to see their ideas become reality. That's what's noble. And every time they stick this crap out there, all they're doing is impeding brain power. It's this incumbency thing, Rhino, I'm telling you. It's easy. We're all fat and happy now. Let's go figure out how we can just divide the pie up differently. Never any discussion about, well, let's think about how we can implement policy to unleash the animal spirits, yeah, that's what I'm calling them, of capitalism, of innovators, of risk-takers. And here I'll credit Trump, because you know what's core to that? Energy. He understood, you know what, cheap energy, that means folks are going to invest more, they're going to innovate more, they're going to create more. Expensive energy, I don't know about that. Can't afford the cost of power. And this breakthrough that Ben from Madison informed us on yesterday of uh, fusion, which you talked about it. You, you brought it up hell a year ago, just in our discussion about what we thought would be a should be part of the overall energy matrix, nuclear, historically, which has been fission. Now they've come up with, I mean, it looks like that. Even the government is willing to sign off on it and say, yeah, this fusion thing works. And the breakthrough was more came out than went in. That's been the challenge. And guess what did that? Human brain power. Simple as that. Now, an actual usable breakthrough in the realm of fusion is likely a decade or two off sure. at, at the earliest. Sure. Just because 
there's a a little bit of fudging not not fudging that's the wrong word but there's there's a little bit of wordplay in the measurement of the energy put into the reaction and the measurement of the energy coming out and the disparities and how it's measured but it's a step in the right direction and you're right with fusion energy and quantum computing things will be possible that you can't even dream of right now not even a twinkle in the eye not not and it wouldn't surprise me if quantum computing does not play a role in ultimately solving that problem and making it uh, available for commercial use that's again using tools to create more tools to create more goods and services. That's how wealth is created. It's not created by passing stupid bills in Congress that says, well, take from them, they got more, and give it to them. That's what they call equity. To put it in perspective, the, both the realms of fusion technology and quantum computing are in the Wright Brothers stage. They're in the stage where we understand a lot of the principles. We can't really get it into practice except for a few brilliant minds. But also, put yourself in the shoes of someone living when the Wright brothers took flight at Kitty Hawk. Could they possibly imagine that we would have planes flying around the world carrying cargo to bring it to you to get two-day delivery? It wasn't even the, the idea that wasn't even right. what they were after, right? So they didn't know. Just think about all the different things that are possible, and now imagine it's going to go even farther. No doubt about it. It uh, That's, again, another situation where humans will figure out how to solve those problems. And, and it's what makes me mad is it's all the doom and gloom. Oh, my gosh, we're running out. I heard it when I was in high school. 1972, they were telling us that. And and they were going down this litany of how life was going to change. And none of that ever came to fruition. It never materialized. Because you know what? They couldn't envision fracking. And if you think about how much that has expanded our access to fossil fuels, and that's human innovation. That is technology. That prior was not possible. Not We couldn't access those deposits, certainly in an affordable way. It wasn't worth doing. Was it viable? Hmm. They just never... They, it's, it's almost as if... <laughs> no, it's not as if, but that they think anything good, anything innovative, always comes from government rather than individuals. Private individuals. Like the Wright brothers. Correct. And think about this. Two guys that were really enthusiastic about bicycles that just wanted to That's true. try something different. Doesn't it also call attention to the wisdom of our founders who basically said, you know what, these rights don't come from government, they come from our Creator. And Ben Franklin, who, as legend has it, was asked by a woman, what exactly did you just create here? And he said, a republic if we can keep it. He got it. He understood it. And every single day it feels like we're fighting to keep it. And we have these forces in conflict. 
By the way, somebody asked, I can't find it now. Um, oh, yeah, here it is on the C Spire text line. What was the, it was Bo from Starkville, what was the previous definition talking about the Cambridge Dictionary? It was completely redefined man and woman. So, uh, Bo, the previous definition, I'm looking at it for man, an adult male human being. End of story. Not with this caveat, this this qualification based on how you feel or how you identify. <laughs> it's just crazy. I guess this army colonel we were talking about retired with the pup mask on identifies as a pup. Is that right? Is that how that works? Pup king? Whatever the hell it is. Coming back with another half hour on middays in the Element Well Studios. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk Mississippi. Pete Townshend, Roger Daltrey, headlining the Who. Right after the song, of course, Pete's going to smash that guitar into a gazillion pieces. That's what he always does. Here's another one, Mr. Townshend. <laughs> oh, gosh. CC in Sanatobia says, one of my parents would have wound up in jail if they found out a teacher was talking about pornographic or transgender garbage to me and other kids, I say one of them because it would have been whichever one got their hands on that teacher first. I I just don't get it. I don't understand what the what the value is of thrusting this content and these these thorny issues and just of sex period on Young students like that. I don't get it. It's it's like there are people involved in the academic community that are into that stuff and that 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 is their lifestyle and it's like they're trying to attract more young people into it, maybe to legitimize it, maybe to uh, sort of in some indirect way confirmed in their minds, yeah, this is what to do. Look, other young people are thinking about this as well. I just once again say, why is this even coming up in school? Why why do we have to talk about that? They'll learn it. It it they'll we all do. You get exposed to it. You figure it out as part of normal life. Let it happen naturally. Oh man, I I and this gender-affirming care stuff, which we have such a clinic at UMMC that treats minors, by the way. And doing a little research, you'll find that only a handful of such clinics existed a short few years ago, and now they're, they're pervasive. It's virtually every 
teaching and children's hospital in this country has got such. I just can't see how there's that big a demand. It's I do believe that there are adults who are pushing children into this. Some states where a child begins to even express possible gender dysphoria, they start, we talked about it the other day, they hit them with this love bombing, praising and, and complimenting, fawning all over them. Well, of course, any child is going to respond to that and want more. It's human nature, especially for a child that can't see and through what's going on there. And not requiring teachers to even inform parents. Now there are lawsuits being launched because of that. Teachers working feverishly, administrators, etc., to persuade children to start taking puberty blockers. You know, there's medicine that will delay that natural process, and you can decide later if you're confused about it. Not having to tell parents about that. That this has even become as big an issue as it is, and some of my friends on the right say I overreact to this, and I don't believe I do. I, if, it's, if it were isolated to one or two, I'd say that's just outlier wackos. But it's, it's everywhere, it appears. Gosh, how many examples have we shared on this program that are well-documented and founded with materials that once get exposed, they, they, they go into high gear to, to hide. What are you hiding? What are you hiding, Vanderbilt University? We've shared that one. Oh, yeah, the administrator is standing in an auditorium presenting their whole gender-affirming care program for minors. Not only does it cost $40,000 for the surgery, but they're patients for life. I mean, she's boasting about the profit opportunity in mutilating young bodies. Yeah, I think it's a big problem. And, you know, your taxpayer dollars are paying for gender transition surgery for members of our armed forces. That's, that is, that has been found to be legal, and it is embedded in policy. You're paying for it. Man, I just think it's upside down, and I'm deeply concerned about the future of this country, because I do think it is consistent to some degree with the tenets of Marxism, and I do think there is a concerted effort on the part of leftists who seem to be dominating our educational environment, who are most interacting with our young people from K through 12 and even in college, and they're thrusting all this stuff on them. They're brainwashing them. They're indoctrinating them. And it does cause concern for the future of the country. I honestly do not believe that most Americans support this and condone this. And I think it happens in a, 
in uh, a bit of a disguised fashion as best they can keep it from us. And it was really COVID and all the remote virtual learning that put the sunshine on it when parents were walking by and seeing this crap on their third grader screens. There's gazillions of examples of that across the country. What in the heck's going on here? Turns out school board elections are pretty important. Turns out. Now we've got one Loudoun County administrator that's, I think, been terminated and looking at possible charges for ignoring. Fairly certain. At least one of them's been arrested. Arrested? Okay. For it's, covering it's up the rape in a bathroom. Right. Said that... And then uh, having the gall to call the government down on the parents that were outraged over it. Unbelievable. Witnessed two pair of feet in a stall in the bathroom and walked out, said nothing, and that's exactly what was happening. Sexual abuse by like a 14-year-old turned around. And all these attempts to legitimize, decriminalize pedophilia, this Balenciaga high-end clothing line featuring children, infants, toddlers, not infants, toddlers, holding teddy bears dressed in bondage clothing in their ads. Bondage bears, puberty blockers, porn in children, with children in classrooms. It's never right. Never. Never. It's moral decay. It's depravity. And now we got former colonels, retired colonels, not former, in pup kink gear. I can't even comprehend it. I really can't. Sick people in this world on the ceasefire text line. Ben from Madison says, I love that quote from Ben Franklin, the one that says it's a republic if we can keep it after they um, fashioned our founding documents. He says, I totally agree, too. Dems are crazy to believe all answers must come from big government. I, and I agree with you, Ben, and that, that really is the fundamental, I think, core distinction. And often I think, Rhino, it's because, <laughs> and maybe I'm generalizing and being unfair in my characterization, it's people like Joe Biden that know nothing but government. They've never really produced anything for society, except what they would consider a value that came from government and their work in government. And that's not discrediting or denouncing every single person in government. That's not the goal here. But these career politicians, I think they get to the point where they are so out of touch with the real world. They do not understand how value is created in society and one that is capitalistic and free market and I challenge anyone to find any other country that has produced more good for this planet. Yet these idiot leftists are teaching our children it's evil, it's wicked, it's flawed. They question everything about it. It's just, how can you possibly expect to have a productive, functioning society that endures if you're teaching the young people that sort of stuff? And now this radical gender ideology garbage that they're thrusting down their throats and filling their heads up with. But I do think it's because that they seek to do 
feel like they got to do something and then go take credit for it. And the only opportunity and path they have is to do something in government. That's that's how we end up with dumb bills like the one we were just talking about, where they want to clamp down on Apple and Google for their policies of how you use payments when you publish an app on their platform. Coming right back on Midday. Stay with us. You're listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. Final segment, midday, Super Talk Mississippi. Don't forget, tomorrow we're going to be live at Mississippi Blood Services at the Treetops Boulevard location off of Lakeland Drive in Flowood as we help Mississippi Blood Services celebrate the season of giving. Give the gift of life. Donate today. And when you donate this week, you will receive either an embossed knit beanie or campfire mug while supplies last. And 3 o'clock today, of course, Sports Talk Mississippi airs, and I'm sure the Sports Talk crew will have a a great deal to discuss regarding the tragic passing of uh, Coach Mike Leach, and then also Brian on his show tomorrow, Thunder and Lightning. Brian Haydad focuses on Mississippi State Athletics. That airs on Super Talk at 6 p.m., uh, really, across the entire Super Talk Mississippi network and on Super Talk TV each Wednesday at 6 p.m. You know, also, we hadn't talked about it in a while, but uh, Re- our very own Rebecca Turner and actress, actress Amia Edwards, they've teamed up for a new podcast to tackle physical, mental, and spiritual health. You can find the Tired of Weight podcast from Super Talk Mississippi anywhere you get your podcast and on demand at supertalk.fn. DJ in Summit says, I know, Mr. Gibbert, you believe this country's better days are ahead, but a lot we have to change for that. Too much debt, spending, weirdness, and decadence. I will stay optimistic. And, yeah, that's just it, DJ. I, I do believe that in order to achieve certain, uh, or if not all, positive outcomes. You have, it starts with believing in it and envisioning it. And there, there's lots that's been studied about that. I think there's a lot of truth to that. You see something, you imagine it in your head, you, you envision it, and your chances of, of uh, transitioning that, transforming that, I should say, into reality are greatly enhanced and increased. You, you have to see it. And I know just from maybe a simpler example in, in coaching youth sports, you know, I would tell my, my batters, you know, see the ball coming off the bat and going into the alleys. And I tell my pitchers, see the ball going past the batter and the batter cutting and missing it. You just have to see that. Golfers, athletes will tell you that all the time. You have to see the, see the shot, see the act. And I think the same applies here. It doesn't mean that I'm not concerned about stuff going on. Good Lord, we talk about that on a daily basis, and mainly just so you guys will be aware of some of the radical nonsense that's happening. And I think the better informed we are, the, the, uh, the, the more we can 
crusade against some of this nonsense and, of course, vote appropriately and accordingly to stop the onslaught. Yeah, I'm worried about it, no doubt. Let's see here. Let the kids learn about sex like I did off the bathroom stalls on the ceasefire touch line. Gary and Meridian says, once again, the purpose of the military is to defend and protect against enemies of the United States, both foreign and domestic. Translation for the ignorant. Break up the toys of the enemies to keep the citizens safe. It's not to be a social experiment and certainly shouldn't be engaged in social justice activism. I'm with you, Gary, and I don't know how many examples we've shared here on the program, uh, Rhino, going back to General Milley testifying about the white rage stuff and all the way through the Air Force Academy holding privilege walks and some of the materials we've talked about being used at West Point to train our cadets as part of their, uh, their education path. Yeah, all of that's disturbing. In the top brass in the military, embracing all this crap, all this woke stuff. Yeah, that, that's bothersome, no doubt. I totally agree with Gary that when the uh, when the time comes, and I pray it doesn't, and we rely on our defense, our military, which we're about to send eight hundred fifty billion dollars to this year, a sharp increase, by the way. They're saying that's inflation. It's going up about 10%, about $90 billion from last year, the uh, proposed spending, more than what Biden asked for. Wrap your head around that. Almost twice as much as what Biden asked for. That's the, that's the process. The president prepares a proposed budget, sends it to the House, and the House takes it from there. His proposed budget funded the military at about $45 billion less than the latest has been, uh, which has been devised and, and uh, produced by the U.S. House, which is, of course, in Democrat control at this point. And they're wanting to get that through right now so they don't have to deal with the Republicans in control in the next year. That's what they're trying to do is ram it through. It's just not the way to run the railroad. But we're out of time here today. We thank you so much for tuning in tomorrow. Don't forget, we're in Flowood at Mississippi Blood Services. Come by and see us, and more importantly, come by and give blood if you can, folks. Really appreciate it. Until then, stay safe, and God bless everyone. Talk Mississippi Media Production.